This is Dr. Aaron Kuzel, and this is the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. Hello again, this is Dr. Kuzel, and this is the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about mass casualty incident. So let's talk about what a mass casualty incident is and what our role is from EMS. And so let's start by defining what exactly is a mass casualty incident. To basically put it simply is any event that exceeds your available personnel, whether it's the resources or the equipment. And there are many types of MCIs, and that could be a multi-vehicle motor vehicle accident. It could be a plane crash. It could be fires are probably the most common types of MCIs that we see. Train derailments, uh, floodings like we had in eastern Kentucky, tornadoes like we had in western Kentucky, hazmat situations, and of course, as Turkey has just experienced, earthquake. An MCI can also be local, and it can be like in the city of Patterson, New Jersey, uh, where eight firefighters were injured after two fire trucks uh, or fire engines collided while responding to a fire, and it resulted in eight individuals injured. Now, the question is, would that be an MCI in Louisville? Probably not. Eight individuals and eight people coming to the trauma center, really not something that would characterize an MCI. It depends. It could be if they were uh, very sick and uh, we were at a point where we had to clear runs from the hospital. But uh, often this could be pretty much managed with the resources that we have in Louisville. Now, if we took looked at Bullitt County or perhaps uh, Henry County, this may be considered an MCI. So let's talk about what happens when you get to an MCI and that first initial ambulance arrival. So first EMS on scene, basically the the first thing that you do is establish incident command, establish that this is a mass casualty incident and call for help. Now the first EMS unit, usually fire will arrive and will assume that command is incident commander, but the first EMS unit's arrival is basically just the, the first initial scene assessment and then begins doing the triage porta, portion of the mul- multiple casualties. The incident commander will eventually appoint a triage officer, probably some command, within the EMS and as well as a transportation officer who's going to direct where the ambulance are going. But we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get further into this podcast. There are two sectors when you manage the chaos that is an MCI. There is the staging sector, so a safe safe haven for where personnel and equipment are ideally going to be three minutes away from the scene or can easily access the scene three minutes away. And then there's going to be the treatment sector where you've already have your triage patients where they're going to be brought to get initial treatment. So what exactly is triage? Um, And it's basically a utilitarian rule um, that governs medicine. It's basically stating what the greater good for the greatest number of people or rather than the good of the patient at hand. So moving on from what exactly is triage, let's talk about primary triage. So primary triage basically is a triage based on physiology. Essentially, this is going to be how well patients are able to utilize their own resources to deal with their injuries and basically determining where their physio, how many do no longer have the physiology to support their uh, living. Those that are on the near brink of losing their physiological ability to maintain their blood pressure and vital signs, and then those who are going to be delayed care. And so that's that's the idea of primary triage. Now, secondary triage is once we know where everybody is, whether they're red, yellow, and green, then we start to incorporate like a reassessment of that physiology and seeing where they are. Then we start our initial treatments of the secondary triage. It says, you know, we identify what the life-threatening things are. Essentially, we look at victims who are only going to be saved by the hospital setting, the victims that can receive uh, life-saving treatment on scene, like maybe a tourniquet that can stop the bleeding, and also those individuals who have like maybe an open fracture that Uh, while they are not in immediate risk of dying from that open fracture, depending on the fracture itself, they do have a risk for delayed complications if they don't get to the hospital quick enough. And then, of course, those individuals in secondary triage that have minor injuries, you're going to have to reassess the greens at some point, but we're trying to determine 
what those those victims of minor injuries are and making sure that they're they're uh, stable. As you imagine, this can be very very difficult because there are so many scoring systems out there in disaster management. There's the smart triage, which I understand that we have a grant from FEMA for the smart triage. There's start triage. There's care flight triage. There's basic disaster life report, mass triage, SACO, and SALT triage. Now, the two that I'm going to talk about today, because I'm most familiar with those, is SALT and START. I really prefer START, but SALT triage is endorsed by the American College of Emergency Physicians and the American College of Surgeons, and it also is the CDC expert panel um, that sponsored SALT triage. The problem that I have with SALT triage is that there are so many steps. I don't like that you have to refer to the steps to figure out how you get to that point. It's very objective. Absolutely. You're going to have reduced number of under and over triage, but I think it's too much to do in a very chaotic situation. And most of these scoring systems are limited in that sense. And because scenes are often chaotic and unstable and they're constantly moving, especially an active shooter, you have a very unstable scene and a very chaotic scene, or even a, um, a bombing is going to be very chaotic, unstable, and there's going to be threats of secondary devices. So it kind of limits. They've never really been in practice for those types of chaotic scenes. If we do have good scoring systems and we use the scoring systems appropriately, outcomes have shown improved accuracy and rapid triage. But they've never really been universally and they have limited accuracy and liability when it comes to scoring systems. I like to talk about starts uh, triage and we'll talk a little bit about going through the motions and why it's a little bit easier to recall when you're seeing 130 patients in a, in a maybe in a plane crash. And it's what I tend to use when I'm doing triage um, in my practice. And we'll talk a little bit about the difference with pediatrics. One thing I want to, to talk about with start and jumpstart triage is how it differs in pediatric. In the start triage, which is for adults, basically you position the airway. And if you have no air, no respirations after repositioning the airway, you immediately call them a black tag or they're deceased. In jumpstart pediatric MCI triage, if they're not breathing and you position the airway and they still do not breathe, you can actually give them five rescue breaths. That is only in pediatrics because most of the time in pediatrics, the reason that they are in cardiac arrest is often respiratory. So the thought is with jumpstart pediatric MCI triage, we give them five rescue breaths if we if we don't get any spontaneous breaths after positioning the airway. Now let's talk about what defines a red, a yellow, and a green patient. A red patient is those that have immediately life-threatening hemodynamic alterations but they are perceived as salvageable. If we can do something at the hospital, if we can do something on scene, we can stabilize them and possibly salvage them and keep them alive. The yellow patients are those that injuries that are not immediately life-threatening, but those that can have systemic effects in 45 to 60 minutes. So they need urgent medical attention, but they don't need to go right away. Now, that being said, what are examples of that? What about burns? Third-degree burns without airway problems, Pretty systemic effects going to have problems later on, but um, not involving the airway can actually be a yellow tag. Any major or multiple bones or joint injuries, any back injuries with and without uh, spinal cord uh, damage can also be considered yellow. So that individual with paralysis, the paralysis is already done. As long as they're hemodynamically stable, we don't necessarily have to transport them with the reds. And then of course, the green patients. These are injuries that are localized, um, not anticipated to have any systemic impact, but that's delayed for hours. So we have 
time. So these are minor fractures. These are small lacerations uh, that we can deal with. And then the black tag patients are those that are expectant or dead or have a poor chance of survival. Now, FEMA does talk about this group of, of gray tags, but this is more in the hospital side where those individuals are expectant, but they're still alive. And so there's some a little bit of hospice care that is a part of that gray tag, but we won't talk about that here in the pre-hospital side. I want to talk a little bit about triage limitations. There are some significant triage limitations. And what do I mean by that? I mean by over triage and under triage. And those are over triages that basically resources are given to a patient that determined to have minor issues. And under triage are those individuals who are sicker than they appear that didn't get the proper triage. So a red tag patient that received a yellow tag. Let me be honest, the overall accuracy of triage is approximately 61%. You are going to get this wrong. And we are going to get this wrong often. Real world estimates, the over triage is about seven to 12% over triage. And under triage isn't much better. It's about four to 15%. In simulations, it's even worse. So even though we know all the information and we have the card in front of us, we do poorer in simulations where our over triage is about 16% and our under triage, which is terribly concerning, is 24%. But the takeaway that I want you all to take is in, as EMS professionals is you are going to get this wrong. People are going to die. We have already expected once we have entered a mass casualty incident, people are going to die. And there's we're doing the best that we can. And we're trying to do the best that we can for the greater good. You are going to get this wrong and that's okay. Uh, you can't take that home with you. Now let's move on to start triage and let's go step by step how we do the start triage. And then I'll give you a little bonus of a nice little mnemonic that you could take with you that makes it very easy to do this. So start triage, step one. Basically, this is all ambulatory patients are initially tagged as green. And then of course, we'll have the secondary triage. But in our primary triage, this is basically when you come to a scene and you go into the scene and you say, hey, everybody who can hear my voice, get over here. Everybody come to me or go to this spot. So you get everybody out of the scene, you clear the scene, congregate those people into a separate position uh, away from the rest of the people that you have to triage. This is gonna basically take 60 to 70 to maybe even 50% of your patients and remove them from what you have to initially triage. So all walking wounded move. Now there might be something that you're gonna have to do for them later, but in our primary triage, this is the most appropriate is get them out of the way so you can start. Now you move on to step two. And so basically you're going to assess for the presence or lack of or absence of spontaneous respirations. If they're breathing, you're gonna move on to step three. If they're apneic, you're gonna open the airway. And this is where step two start, stops. If a patient remains apneic after you've opened the airway, they're a black tag, they're expectant, move on. If the patient starts breathing after positioning their airway, then you tag them as red and that's done. That patient has been triaged, you've positioned their airway as best you can, you now move on to the next patient. They're a red tag and we'll get to them. Now moving forward into step three, if they're breathing spontaneously, then you assess their respiratory rate. If their respiratory rate is greater than 30, the patient is red. If it's less than 30 or equal to 30, you proceed to step four. So let's review because I know it's hard on a podcast. So I recommend you bring up a start triage um, graph uh, or a, a picture on Google and just kind of follow along with me, but let's repeat it. In step one, all walking wounded are moving away. Step two, you look for absence or presence of spontaneous respirations. If the patient is breathing on their own, you assess by step three, which step three is going to be looking at their respiratory rate. If they're apneic, you're going to open the airway. If they're apneic continued after positioning the airway, they're a black tag. If they start breathing after positioning the airway, they're red tag and you're done with that patient. 
If they are breathing, you move to step three, check their respiratory rate. If it's greater than 30, you tag that patient as red and move on. If they're less or equal to 30, then you proceed to step four. In step four, you now assess the capillary refill. If it's greater than two seconds, tag the patient as red and move on. If it is less than or equal to two seconds, you move to step five. Now we get to the mental status. So we have talked about respiratory rate, capillary refill, and now we're gonna talk about a mental status. And here's where we kind of get towards the end. If they're able to obey commands, so that they say, hey, can you tell me your name? Or hey, can you do a simple command? And they're able to follow your commands. They're tagged as a yellow, they're delayed. If they're unable to obey your commands, then they're red. That means their mental status is poor. And so that's basically how you do start triage. And it's very, very simple and very, very quick. Uh, especially when you're talking about 20 to 30 to 40 patients. Now there is a shortcut because I'm sure you can't really remember the steps when you're talking about or when you're immediately in this chaos. And so there's a shortcut. And so basically it's RPM 32 can do. So if you put two boxes up and you have RPM down linearly and then go 32 can do, it matches up. So the R is respiratory for RPM and that's 30, 32 can do. P is for pulse or, or capillary refill, which is gonna be two. And then M in RPM is motor, can do. So RPM, 32 can do, R for respiratory rate of 30, P for capillary refill or pulse of two, and then RPM, M, motor, can do. And that's a really easy way to start shortcut. And you can start from, from top to bottom, and that's how you can triage a patient very effectively. And just to review, if you have a respiratory rate greater than 30, you're done. They're a red tag. If you have a cap refill greater than two, you're done. That's a red patient. If they can't follow your directions, then that's a red. If they can follow your directions, then they're a yellow. And that is start triage. Now, of course, secondary triage is going to be a little bit more chaotic. You're going to do some reassessments of your yellows, your greens, your reds, but this is after your initial primary triage. We're not gonna go much into secondary triage at the time, because that's gonna be on the triage officer. The transportation officer is gonna figure out how we're gonna aggress and get those patients out of there. Now, let's do some practice. You have a, we have a bombing at a marathon, and you have a patient who's being carried um, by their dad um, to your medical tent or to your EMS group. And she is complaining, but she's able to give you a thumbs up. Um, her capillary refill is um, less or, or less than two and her respiratory rate is 28. What would you give her as a tag? If you said yellow, that's correct. So she has a respiratory rate that is less than 30 a capillary refill less than two, and she's able to give you a thumbs up or follow your command. So you have a patient here that has penetrating wound to the right upper extremity. He is unresponsive, but as you position his airway, uh, he begins to breathe spontaneously. You find that his respiratory rate after that is 36. What would you tag this patient? If you said red, you're correct. So after you position the airway, he starts to breathe spontaneously, that immediately as a red patient. You have another patient who comes in and is screaming and hollering that this is the worst day of her life. She is very anxious and has chest pain, but she's able to walk to your position. What would you tag her as? Given that she is a walking member uh, and a walking wounded, you would tag her as green and have her go with the rest of the triage green uh, team. And then finally, we have another patient who has a penetrating wound to the head. 
is unresponsive, you position the airway, and do not see spontaneous breathing. What would you tag this person as? If you said black, that's correct. That's just kind of examples of how you would do mass casualty um, triage. Now, let me kind of throw it, uh, throw a little wrench into the system. So what if it's a lightning strike and you're given four patients? One has a right shoulder dislocation. The other one is concussed and mumbles. The other one is currently in cardiac arrest. And the other one is waving you down for help. Who do you treat first? Do you treat the right shoulder dislocation, the concussed and mumbling patient who's altered, the cardiac arrest, or the one who's waving you down for help? Who do you treat first after a lightning strike? So this is where mass casualty gets a little bit interesting. In a lightning strike scenario, you actually take care of the cardiac arrest first. Unlike any other mass casualty situation, we take care of the person who is who who is the red tag. In lightning strikes, we actually flip that and we take care of the cardiac arrest. And the theory behind that is these cardiac arrest patients are salvageable because the lightning strike typically sends them into a v ventricular fibrillation rhythm. And so if we can get early defibrillation on them, we can actually salvage them. Uh, so that is the thought process behind lightning strike. It's the only mass casualty situation where we actually go for the cardiac arrest first. Everything else, bombings, tornadoes, earthquakes, all the other mass casualty incidents, other than a lightning strike, we would not treat the cardiac arrest. But in a lightning strike, those are ones that are potentially salvageable, and the damage is pretty much done um, on the other individuals. So that's a little bit about mass casualty incidents. Again, please keep in mind Officer Wilt and the victims as well as their families. Uh, say prayers and also keep them in your thoughts. Thank you again for what you do, and of course, be safe out there. Before I end this podcast, I'd like to offer some tips and strategies on how to practice the RPM 32 can do. If you never practice it, you're never going to be good at it. And fortunately, we don't have a lot of mass casualties to practice this at, and we don't often have a lot of trainings on this. So what I recommend you do to get good at this is every patient that you see in a shift, try to guess what they would be when you're talking about a mass casualty situation. The patient that is altered mental status, can't move, respiration rate's 38, that might be an individual that would be considered a red tag, even though it's just a normal UTI uh, or a run-of-the-mill UTI in an elderly female, that could be a red tag. So practicing this, or when you're taking traumas to UofL, practicing where this individual would end up in a mass casualty situation, uh, that will help you get stronger and much more effective in practicing this and being able to do this on the day that this ha unfortunately happens.